Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. You say to your neighbor, Jesus is calling you. When we're growing up, like a lot of us here, and maybe you're in your room or something, and they come and say, Daddy is calling you. An emotion goes through your heart. If they say, Mommy is calling you, a different kind of emotion goes through your heart. <laughs> if they say, Grandma is calling you, a different kind of emotion goes through your heart. When we're growing up, I won't tell you who it is. But once they say, such and such is calling you, your knees begin to shake. As in, what have I done today? Praise the name of the Lord. Today, when your neighbor asked you, and said to you rather, Jesus is calling you, what did you feel? When they said to Adam and Eve, invariably, Jesus is calling you. What did they do? They went to hide. They went to hide. They went to hide. When they said to you today, Jesus is calling you, what is that emotion that went through your heart? For some people, it's like, what have I done? Their image of Jesus is a taskmaster. For some people, Jesus is calling you, they're excited. Wow. For some people, Jesus is calling you, like, for what? Wherever you fall into, I pray that you'll be aligned properly by the time you are done in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is calling you. I'm the errand boy. Sometimes, you know, the errand boy gets to be killed <laughs> or stoned. The bad thing to be an errand boy. You be a bearer of bad news, you get punished. <laughs> Ask the prophets. Anyway, Jesus is calling you. And what triggered this, um, this story that Jesus told was a man that had the previous story that Jesus was telling. Jesus was saying, if you go to a banquet, you know, you will. Don't sit on the high point of the table. Go to the low point of the table. And if the owner comes and invites you up, you'll be honored and on and on and on and on. And there was a man there, all he was imagining was how will it be to be invited to a banquet with God. And the man said, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. So this man was saying, what a blessing will it be? That word blessing in the original means what, how favored Will that person be? It means how to be envied in such a person that is invited to the table with God. It means how blessed is such a person that is invited to dine with God. And he said that to Jesus. And Jesus answered and says, let me tell you a story. You know, Jesus sometimes, when you ask him a question, a question he answers you with a story. So he said to the man, the story we are about to read in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Luke 14, 15, from 15 to 24. It says, hearing this, the story Jesus told, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing 
it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guests, come and come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. 21, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the edges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be filled. For none of those first invited will get even the smallest taste of the banquet. The Lord bless the reading and the understanding of his word in Jesus' name. So Jesus is saying invariably, the man asks the question, how favored is this person that will be invited to a banquet with God? And Jesus was saying invariably with this story that all you need to be favored and blessed in the kingdom of God is directly dependent on your response to the call. The guy is saying, how blessed is it to sit with God and dine? Jesus is saying, you will be blessed to sit with God if you respond properly. So the summary of this whole teaching, you know, I'm starting with the summary. Bad teaching. You know, you teach everything and you should end with summary, right? I'm starting with the summary. The summary of this whole teaching is simple. How far you go with God is dependent on your availability to the core. How far you go with God is, is how you respond when Jesus calls you. Simple. So if you, if you find somebody that is more anointed than you are, it's not because they are finer than you are. It's because they are more available to God. Largely. Than you are. That's how the kingdom works. And everyone... You know, because this is God's favorite house. And the favor you get is dependent on your yieldedness to the core. So which means we, in God's favorite house, by the grace of God, we have to be the most yielded people to Jesus' call, in Jesus' name. So Jesus calls, we must be the first to answer. And that's why we want to engage everybody. Why? Because every member is a minister. Every member a minister. Everybody say every member a minister. Every member a minister. The church is a body. The church is a body. If you are in a, in a unit or in a life group, and let's say you, were, you are ill, and as you are ill, your life group leader comes. He prays with you. Guess what will happen? 
Jesus will heal you. And your life group members, they come and they show you love and, 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 you, and, and you are fine. Question, has the church visited you? Absolutely. You know, I was speaking with um, some, someone yesterday night and you know, the issue is his, his leader has visited him, the whole family has gone, they've prayed with him, they, you know, they've even given him gifts and all that and he's still saying, and imagine, pastor did not even call me. How many people will pastor call? Everybody say, every member. A minister. So if there's someone in this church that has called you, the church has called you. Because the church is not a building. The church is people. Praise the name of the Lord. And in our journey with Jesus, you know, we, 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 we depict it with, uh, with like five concentric circles. And, you know, we, we, we say, particularly when it comes to, you know, work in a local church, we say that you start, everybody starts from the community. So you start from the community. In our community, physical community, the lucky environs. There are people like, oh, God, I've heard of that church, you know. It's fine. They, they, they've not been here. They, they probably don't know about us. Some of them do know that is the community. Then when they start their journey of faith, we do something like um, the God's doing against service that is coming up. And, you know, it kind of attracts people because people want to be healed. People want breakthroughs. And that's what God wants for them anyway. People want to be saved and all that. So they take that first step and they join the crowd. They join the, the people in the crowd are the people that come to church once in a while. Ask your neighbor, are you in the crowd? Once in a while. If it rains, forget it. There goes service. Or if they just have a good day, oh, let me just go and hear what that guy has to say today. They come to church. Then for the next four, five, six Sundays, they are not in church. Look straight. I'm not talking to you. Just look straight. Nobody's looking at you. Just. I'm <laughs> say, once a month, the crowd. Then when people respond and, go, and Jesus does a work in their hearts and they take that next step of faith, they become a part of the congregation. There's a congregation. The congregation are people that all things being equal in church. Every time the door opens. They love God. They are committed. And how people usually go from the crowd to the congregation, they take the journey. It was the journey. We are very deliberate in God's favorite house. We have a class that transforms people from just being in the crowd to being members of the congregation. And that is the first trip of the journey. They take the journey. And everybody that does the journey, their life changes. So ask your neighbor, have you taken the journey? Get an answer, get an answer. Say, hey, so you are seeing the crowd that be, ah, uh, I even thought you are a congregation member, self. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, so, so, so then, then God does a work in people's hearts, then they move from the community to the crowd, from the crowd 
to the congregation. They move from the congregation to the committed. I believe that everyone that is saved should be committed in the local church. Everybody. Not everybody will be a member of the core, yeah. Or the commissioned. There's a fifth one. There's an arrow that goes out. Those that went to South Africa to start a church, they've been commissioned. They've gone from the community to the crowd to the congregation to the committed to the core commissioned. You know? Now, but everybody should be committed. The question to you is, are you committed? Jesus is calling you this morning. What will your response be? What will your response be? Will you take that next step? If you look at the people that Jesus invited in this story, none of them ignored the call of Jesus. Not one ignored it. Every one of them acknowledged and responded. And took permission to be excused. But was that alright with Jesus? The fact that they acknowledged, they responded, acknowledged, and took permission to be excused. Was that okay with Jesus? Did Jesus say, oh, they've taken permission. They are fine. No! Sometimes we think that once we have taken permission, then we are good. No, you are not good, sir. No, you are not. You are good for the system on earth. The question is, what's your excuse? Really? What is your excuse? And if you look at the anatomy of all these excuses, it's revealing because the first man, listen to what he said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Was it very nice? Yes. Very courteous too. I have bought a field. I must. There was a must. Inspect it. And, and, and that is the first aspect of, in the anatomy of excuses. The compulsion that even though Jesus is calling me, I must do this first. What is that thing? That is so compelling. That puts this call of Jesus tugging on your heart on hold. What is that thing? Jesus is calling, but I excuse me, I must attend to this first. <laughs> I must attend to this first. Praise the name of the Lord. What is that thing? If you look at the second man's excuse, he said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen. I'm making money. Business is good. I've just expanded. And I want to try them out. Please excuse me. In other words, it's not that I must try them out. It's not something that is so compelling that I feel is so compelling, but it's something that I choose to do. It's something that I desire to do. Jesus is calling me on one hand. Jesus wants me to do something on one hand, but I want to do something else on the other hand. 
please excuse me, Jesus. I cannot come. My question to you and I, what is that thing that you want to do that is as loggerheads with what God wants you to do? What is that thing that you want to do? But it is not in line with what God wants you to do. It's for this season. I, I shared the story, you know, in the church I used to pastor. When I had to stop pastoring the church, a lot of you know this story. One of the things I wanted to do was to do a PhD. I always wanted to do a PhD. Dr. Munay. I was like, <coughs> did you call me? And, you know, my family were frequenting the U.S. at the time. I mean, it was just a natural exit for me. Just, just forget about me. But it was clear to me that this is what Jesus wants me to do. Even though this is what I want to do. But this is what Jesus wants me to do. What do I do? What do you do? When your preferences clashes with his preferences, what do you do? What is that thing that you want to do? But right now, it's at loggerheads with what Jesus wants you to do. For some of you, Jesus wants you to be in the choir. But that's not what you want to do. For some of you, Jesus wants you to be praying and be an intercessor. But those guys, they do vigil every day. Man, ah, that's not what I want for my life. What do you want to do? A lady said to me, oh, Pastor, it's about time I, I want to get married. You know, I really want to join the prayer group because I really believe that's what Jesus wants me to do. But they fast too much. I need to be fresh. And look appealing. So that when the bubble sees me, eh? and she didn't join the prayer group. And I smiled. You know why I smiled? It's not by power. It's not by might. Even those that are married, to keep your husband or your wife, it's not by power. <laughs> you learn these things because sometimes you learn the hard way. You are praying, 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 praying. Except the Lord builds. The labor in vain that builds. What do you want to do that is locking hands with what Jesus wants you to do? I have bought five pairs of oxen and I want to inspect them. Please excuse me. Let's look at the third thing in this anatomy of excuses. And that is the third guy that said, I now have a wife. I like this guy. <laughs> so, excuse me. I can't call. You know what? Jesus, levels don't change you. 
I now have a wife. Those things that I used to do for you before. I'll be coming for prayer with you before. That's before. Now I have a... People do strange things when it comes to wife or no wife. I was a wife or no wife. Husband or no husband. <laughs> because it's the same thing. It says, these are the people that says, Jesus will understand. So, so means, because of this, I mean, this just makes logical sense. Jesus, can you think it at all? Do you really expect me to be at this party? Really? Jesus? Really? I should be there? Come on. I now have a wife, you know. Praise the Lord. And he's the only guy that was so direct. He didn't even, it, the other says, please excuse me, right? The first one said, please excuse me. The second says, please excuse me. He said what? So I can't come. Chicken, huh? Go figure. After all, it is written, if a man just marries a wife, he should spend one whole year cheering up his wife. It's in the Bible. Just to cheer her up, that is what he's supposed to be doing. No military service, no labor, just make sure your wife is happy. Now, having a field or a wife or an oxen is not wrong in itself. And I can give you scripture upon scripture upon scripture that shows the heart of God. God wants you to have oxen. God wants you to purchase fields. God wants you to have a wife, not wives. I want to say God wants you to have wives. I was like, no, one. God wants you to have a husband. But you see, the problem is when your wife becomes more important than the call of Jesus, you have a problem. All these things become wrong when the oxen becomes an issue. Because you now have an oxen. Everybody should respect themselves. Pastor, the things I used to do because I was a student. Now, ah, no, I'm a banker. You can't expect bankers to be carrying chairs. Praise the name of the Lord. So, what, what, does, what, does, what are these things? What do they mean? Inspecting the field. These oxen, this wife, what do they represent? Three excuses, these three categories of excuses, what do they represent? Even though there are three categories, they represent only one thing. We are going to look at the three categories, but let's look at the one thing they represent really is the world. Everybody say the world. That is the one thing they represent. In First John chapter 2, First John 2, 15. 
to 17, 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, 1 John 2, 15 to 17, the word of God says that do not love the world. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father, or the love of the Father is not in you. Now, if you, if you stop there, you're like, come on, don't love the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. So why should I love the world? I should love what God loves, right? So I should love the world. So what world? That's not the world that God loves. And the world that God is saying don't love is explained from verse 16. Now listen, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. If you have a KJV version, it's called the lust of the flesh. That's number one. Number two, a craving for everything we see. In that version I mentioned, it's called the lust of the eyes. Then the pride in our achievements and possessions. It's called the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. So we see that the, the, the three categories, if you look at this story clearly, even though this lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, they are contained in all the three excuses. But you can say that this one is more of this. This one is more of that. This one is more of this. If you look at the whole story, you see that God is saying, in essence, it is not just about the wife. Or it's not just about the oxen. Jesus is saying, you should crave me, the giver of the wife, the oxen, the field, more than the wife, the oxen, the field. So God wants us to crave him, the giver, more than the gift. Just like father, um, um, wife situation, you know. The man, the family is planning a trip, maybe summer. Summer is coming to an end. Has it come to an end? Yes. So people are coming back now. Everybody's everybody's gentle. <laughs> when they come out from somewhere, everybody's very gentle. You know why? Because they uh, they cannot collide with somebody carrying egg anymore. You know, you don't know what that means, don't worry. Let me go. <laughs> now the wife says to the husband, the money we have is gonna be a tight budget if we all go on this. Why don't you stay back and work? Then you send the money to us so that we and the children can. So what she's saying in essence is that you are not really important in this equation. But your money is. We want the gifts. But we are not interested in, in the giver. And if you check our relationships... That is usually a, you know, a problem when, when one person has something to offer, as it were, and the other person is just after. What 
when you ask a wife, when a wife says, my husband is so romantic, do you know what that means? It's simple. That means he pursues me. That's what, just all it means. He pursues me. At the end of the day, after getting me, we get intimacy, right? But a lot of us men pursue intimacy, right? And the wife is saying, what about me? And the man says, what's the difference? <laughs> Some of you are still thinking about that. You don't understand. The man says, what's the difference? And the man said, no. What about me? The giver of the gift. Praise the name of the Lord. So, these things that God has freely given us should not be the center of our craving. Rather, the giver should be the center of our craving. And these three bullets, if you will, loss of the eyes, loss of the pride of life, is the same thing the enemy uses. Whether for things that God has legitimately given us, or things that God has not even given us at all. It's the same thing he uses. If you, let's say God has given you a very successful business, praise God for that. The enemy will still attempt to use the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, to take you out of God, from God. Also, if it's something God has not given you, maybe another person's wife, the enemy will still try and use the same thing, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, like he did with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.6. Eve looked at the fruit, desirable, lust of the eyes, taste yummy, lust of the flesh makes me have wisdom, pride of life. Same three things. And if you look at our story, it's the same three things that is standing before us. The craving for what we see. That's the first category. Lost of the eyes. I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Lost of the eyes. And, 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 and our search and, and, and our lives, really, because living at this time and age, the media is on our case. The media is pumping all sorts of things at us. You just got a bag, a nice orange bag, and the media shows you a purple one. Ah, that purple one is really nice. But you already have a bag. But see, but Pastor, that's not purple, that's orange. So you get your purple bag. And they show you a red one. Say, ah! <laughs> that red one is not bad. But you already have two bags. But pastor, that's orange and purple. So you buy the red one. And they show you another bag. Oh, that is yellow. Loss of the eyes. You are driving. You see another person's wife or another person's daughter and you are looking at her lustfully. Listen, many accidents have occurred. <laughs> Some people say it's the woman's fault. No. <laughs> they didn't force anybody to look at it. 
So it has to be the man's fault. Because of loss of the loss of the Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I won't even look lustfully at the at maid. Do you know what that means? A maid in those days it was wealthy. Maids attend to them. A lot of those guys, the maids bath them. They sit in the jacuzzi. And the maids are scrubbing their body. And Job said, I will not look. I'm like, Job, please get out of the jacuzzi. <laughs> but that's even, Job may not have done that. Maybe he's just serving on food. And you're just walking up and down. Para, 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 para. For Job to write that, it means it was an issue. Job said, I will not. Every man in this place, say, I. Only five Will not look. It's a choice. I will not look. If I see the first time, it's a mistake. Because sometimes you can't prevent the first time. But you can control the second time. <laughs> oh, yes, you can. As everything in you is a, just look, now, just look. I say, I, Olufemi Mulei, I will keep my eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher <laughs> of my faith. And the same thing. For, for because loss of the eyes is the eyes, but literally it means the senses. For the woman, you could replace that with loss of the ears. Who are you talking to? Who is talking to you? In the marriage seminar we had, I explained to the men, it was like a, a, a moment of revelation for everybody. I said to the woman, Check what your husband is watching. I said to the men, check who your wife is listening to. That will save a lot of marriages. Just check where your husband's eyes are. In his computer, check. If there's pornography there, check. Your wife, check who, is, who has her ears. Why? Because she will eventually become the person she's listening to. Who is talking to her? If it's another man that she's confiding in, you're in trouble. Everywhere has gone quiet. Okay, let me move on. <laughs> Number two. The craving for physical pleasure. Everybody say craving for physical pleasure. Known as the lust of the flesh. The guy said, I now have a wife. Sorry, we, we don't have a wife. <laughs> I now have a wife. I can't come. I can't come. Physical pleasure is one of the greatest problems that everyone, male or female, has to triumph over. 
any of these three is fiscal pressure, particularly, particularly in our time. The Bible says that fiscal pleasure is able to reduce a great man to a loaf of bread, to an ordinary bread. By the time you begin to see your house help eyeing your husband from head to toe and eating and walking away. Something has gone wrong. The man has been reduced to what? A loaf of bread. <laughs> Should I go on? Yes. Maybe I'm touching on something. <laughs> that is the truth. That is the truth. The psalmist says, there are, there are four things that are mysterious. Three things that are mysterious to me. Yay, four. The way of a snake upon a rock. The way of an eagle in the air. The way of a man with a maid. Someone says, Oh, Lagbara. Listen, 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 listen. It has nothing to do with. You know, a lady said to me, this, she's not even fine. Ah, I say, madam, it has nothing to do with whether she's fine or not. That's what the Bible says. It's mysterious. Mysterious. Protect your husband. Protect your house. Praise the name of the Lord. Just protect it. How? Many ways, but out of the scope of this class, I need to zoom in. I'm trying to get back on track. If you notice, I'm really trying to get back on track. When people get things that they've been believing God for, they behave strangely, and it amazes, it amazes me. You know, people, particularly in this case, I've seen women that get married, then they become prayerless. They practically backslide. Practically. And sometimes I say to myself, you mean you are just praying to get a husband? Then what? But for such people, just wait three years down the line. They are back in church. No, it doesn't sometimes. It's getting less. It used to be five years. Three. Now it's less than three years. One and a half years. Sometimes six months. Why? Because of the craving of physical pleasure. A lady, give testimony, a lady that has been flowing with the issue of blood. You know what the issue of blood is? You know, a period didn't stop for 10 years. Consistently, she came to church back in the day and she said, oh, she needed pastor to pray with her. It was the season we were fasting. So the person she saw said to her that a pastor can't see you now because when we enter those seasons, particularly at those last weeks, I kind of shut down from seeing people. Because I just want to focus and pray. And she said, well, you don't need to see pastor. Because that's how we train our people. You really don't need to see pastor. If you see Jesus, do you need to see pastor? Of course not. So she said, plug into the praise chain. And the woman had faith. She said, of course. What's wrong with me? I'm going to plug into the praise chain. 
So she plugged into the priesthood. The first day she did, the issue of blood of 10 years stopped. First day. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. And she gave the testimony. I mean, it was very emotional in church. Some of you remember. Some of, some, some of us, I, I, I cried. Because, she, you remember, she, had, she has had four husbands. And if men had abandoned her because of this problem. And she came to Jesus. And Jesus had mercy upon her and healed her. Then guess what? We stopped seeing her in church. Then, I sent some people to check up on her. And she said to them, Ah, you people, what's your, your own is too much. I have a husband now. And it's on Sunday mornings, he likes me rubbing his body. I can't come to church. I'm telling you. She said the guy likes his food fresh, so she has to pamper him. <sighs> I said, strange, but true. Excuse me, I just married a husband. Excuse me, I just what? Married a wife. The third category of excuses. Uh, the pride of life. The pride in our achievements and possessions. It says, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Please excuse me. Again, Question to you. What's your excuse? Please, let me ask your neighbor in a very serious way. Excuse me. What's your excuse? <laughs> exactly what, ex what exactly is your excuse? And if you follow this story, immediately Jesus said, go, or the, the man representing God, of course, said, go to the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor. Everybody say the poor. The cripple. Everybody say the cripple. The blind. Everybody say the blind. And the lame. Let him come. It's strange that, but it's true that it's broken people that seek God the most. People that their lives have been shattered. Seek God the most. People erroneously think that God is for the poor. No. God invited the guy that had the oxen. He invited the guy that has the field. He invited the guy that has the wife. And he invited the poor. He invited the cripple. He invited the blind. He invited the lame. The poor. Those can, that cannot fend for themselves. Are you here? You cannot fend for yourself. Jesus is calling you to a banquet. The cripple, those that are unproductive. Are you here? You are unproductive. Jesus is calling you to a banquet. The blind, those that cannot see, they lack vision. You are here. It's like your life. You don't even know where it's going. Jesus is calling you to a banquet. Or you are lame. You are not poor. You are not crippled. You are not blind. But you are lame. 
Lame means immobile. Even though you can see, you can't move. Even though you, 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 you are not poor, but you can't move. It's like you are just on one spot. Jesus is calling you to a banquet. Jesus is calling you. You are saying, but pastor, what about me? I just bought a field. Jesus is calling you. What about me? I, I just bought five pairs of oxen. Business is doing well. Jesus is calling you. But the question is, will you give an excuse? What, what's going to be your excuse? Are you going to come up with a fresh excuse today? Or are you going to allow Jesus to have his way? Are you going to, are you going to come up with a fresh reason why you cannot? The reason you are where you are in every area of your life is because of the excuses you are given in that particular area. Spiritually, the reason you are not growing, the reason you are where you are, is because of the excuse you are given when it's time for spiritual things. Oh, they are fasting tomorrow again. Ah, let them fast. I'm not the one that killed Jesus. Like, like someone jokingly says to me, that, ah, pastor, you have the gift of fasting. He says this jokingly. But I know that there are some people in their hearts, they believe it. That's the excuse that keeps them. Oh, that those ones, uh, uh, that one is anointed to fast. You to receive the anointing. <laughs> say amen now. Yeah. Some people don't even want to say amen. Say so if I say amen now. <laughs> it's the excuse you are giving. The reason you are still battling with that sin that's still keeping you bound is simple. It's the excuse you are giving. The more you are giving the excuse, the more you are incapacitated. Academically, the reason you've not passed the exam is because you are giving excuses. You are giving. We don't know math in our house. Excuse me. But if a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are what? All things have become. I have the mind of Christ. A mathematical mind. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. In your marriage, the excuse you are giving is what has kept the marriage the way they are. I was speaking to someone that's very close to me. Very, very close to me. I mean, I, I don't... For friends, if I'm your pastor, I, you know, there's almost nothing I don't discuss with people I pastor. But for friends, I don't. But I was led, you know, is, is, you know, and I said to her, that, look, you are depriving your husband of intimacy. She looks at me, I said, how do you know? I said, well, you can say the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I said to her, why are you doing this? Whoa, I don't have time, Joe. And she promised me she will change. Then I checked up on her. This is about six months after. Says, same excuse. Same excuse. The guy's a good guy. He won't commit adultery in Jesus' name. If he does, what will happen? The devil is a bastard. They want to destroy my marriage. Really? Really? The same excuse you are giving, that is what is keeping you where you are. Think about it, even professionally. Even in your business. 
What excuse? God, has, God is calling you to abundance. What excuse are you giving for your laziness? What excuse are you giving? Write the proposal. Is that a big deal? Write, sit down and write the proposal. That's the problem. God is calling you to abundance. You can't even sit down and write the proposal. That's the problem. What excuse are you giving? Praise the name of the Lord. The, you cannot rise above the level of your excuse. You can't. It's the excuse that places this a lead. The moment you drop that excuse, spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, in any area of your life, boom. Explosion happens. What is your excuse? It's money. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to a new work with God. Jesus is calling you to a higher level of consecration. He's calling you to forgive that person and reconcile. He's calling you to a life of abundance. Jesus is calling you to take your place in his kingdom. What is your excuse? What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Do the journey. What's your excuse? Serve in a unit department. What's your excuse? Join a life group. What's your excuse? Get baptized. What's your excuse? What is your excuse? For many of us, Jesus is calling you to repentance. Are you going to answer with an excuse? Oh, I will when or I must do this first. Oh, I want to. What's the excuse? Let's burn our hearts. Let's burn our heads. And let us pray. I want us to talk to God about what we have heard. And say, from today, Father, no more excuses. Talk to God. Talk to God. From today, Lord Jesus, <clears throat> no more excuses from today. No more excuses. Talk to him. Talk to him. Come on, everybody. Do that. Just talk to him. Close your eyes so that you can concentrate. That's all. Just on God. And just say, from today, Lord, no more excuses. No more excuses. I need to be the best in what you have called me to, to be. No more excuses.